Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and you're very welcome to the show, which is part of the Education on Fire podcast network. I just wanted to take this moment to thank our sponsor, the National Association for Primary Education, who speak for young children and all who live and work for them. This can include parents, teachers, governors and all those interested in primary education. NAEP, which is a non-political charity, works tirelessly to support teachers in the classroom and leads the primary umbrella group of 30 primary subjects associations and unions and gives teachers and schools a voice at governmental level at consultation meetings with ministers for schools. If you'd like your voice to be heard and to find out more information, please visit their website at nape.org.uk. That's N-A-P-E Hello and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place where we share creative and inspiring learning in our schools. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor. Welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast and this is our continuation of our well-being season. Today I'm chatting to Tina Owen-Moore, who's an award-winning educator who started off as a high school English teacher in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. But back in 2005, with a grant from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Tina worked with a group of teachers and students to open the Alliance School. The first school in the nation started with the explicit mission of reducing bullying. She led the school from 2005 to 2016 and has consistently worked to share the Alliance practices so that all schools can be safe and inclusive places for students. This has now turned into a book which Tina is going to be sharing with us as well as her experiences and the, the great insights she has. The reason I was very excited about this conversation was the fact that, of course, the environment that our children get to live and work and grow is incredibly important to how their life then proceeds through their education work. And Tina's in a a fantastic place to be able to share that wisdom with us. And I hope you really enjoy this conversation with Tina Owen-Moore. Tina, thank you very much for chatting to us today. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here. So let's start at the beginning. I know you've been in education for 20 odd years. So why don't you start with how you got into education and then how all these things have developed through the, the start of the school and, um, and the book as well? Okay. Well, I never imagined that I would be in education to start with. Um, I was uh, probably, you know, the most rebellious teenager there was. <laughs> but um, I was in college, I was studying to be a lawyer. And I met somebody who was studying to be a teacher and something just lit up in me and I knew that was what I had to do. And I, I knew that I wanted to make it different than my own experience of school growing up. Um, wanted to make it a place where everybody's stories counted, where it was inclusive and, and really recognized the things that people had gone through in life. So um, I switched my major right away and uh, made it, you know, became a teacher. And um, I was teaching in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and one of the large city schools there. And I loved what I was doing every day. And I, at the same time, I knew that bullying was an issue in school, in that in that school, and in many schools. There were a lot of stories in the news about bullying being an issue. And so when Bill Gates gave out the opportunity to start small schools in Milwaukee, I said, what if we could start a school where the mission was to be a safe and inclusive place for all young people? And we would do it by building relationships and and using restorative practices and preventative practices to really build a culture that fit for everybody. 
So that's, that's kind of a brief tour into a very long journey in education. Um, but it wasn't something I planned. But in, in the end, it's definitely a calling for me. I think what I love the most is the fact that, as we just described um, before when we were chatting, is often well-being is seen as something which is almost to, to support people when there's a problem which is tur- which is turned up, you know, uh, something that we can do to help fix something. And actually to start with the whole premise that actually what we want to do is to create an environment and, and a place of learning which starts in that positive way with a really clear goal that that's what it focuses on. And um, and I think it's amazing that that, that, that was the, the original mission and, and of course it's been incredibly successful for a number of years. Yes. Yeah. So many people um, addressed, you know, approached the topic of bullying from a standpoint of, you know, how can we address it? What kind of uh, policies do we need? What, um, you know, what consequences do we need? But so much more of the work comes from a preventative space and really building a culture where nobody wants to harm people around them. I mean, when you can build it, there's a quote that is at the heart of everything we do at Alliance. It says, if you can see yourself and others, whom can you harm? And so we start from the beginning of trying to be build a place where people can see themselves and others. And is there a, an important age range where, where, where this needs to start? You know, if it, I sort of think if you start young enough, because inherently everybody when they're young is just starting from a, a pure place of, of learning, a pure place of excitement, of growth. And then as we go through life, you know, we get the layers and layers of society and factors or parenthood or whatever it happens to be start to go on. So in, in terms of age, you know, is it important to start this early? Is it that when you get to high school and that sort of secondary school here in the UK that you can put these things in place so that it makes a difference? And what's your take on that? I think, well, it's amazing to start when people are young just because it builds that kind of acceptance and, and welcoming spirit in young people. If you, as an adult, have ever heard somebody else's story and it changed the way that you thought about them as a person, you know that this is work that can happen at any age. And I'm a real advocate for this being part of the work for adults, for teenagers, for young people. Um, It's how you build the culture. It's how you build the community where people can work well together and um, just have that empathy to begin with. And just take us into that a little bit. How did you go about starting that? What were those cultures? What were those ethos that was set up that people could actually understand and that were actually taking part in? Yeah, so my aha moment was when I was a teacher, probably in my second year of teaching, and I was having my, I was an English teacher, so I was having students write novels of their lives in my class, like they were writing their own stories, and every few weeks they would write a chapter and we'd edit it and everything and through their stories i was learning so much about them uh, both the good stuff and the hard stuff and there were times when students in the class would be teasing or ribbing as they call it often here and i would just think this this child can't handle one more thing you know like because i knew what was going on in their lives but i also could not tell the students around them because it was confidential. I had promised them this confidentiality. So I decided to do an exercise in the class that would protect the anonymity of people by giving people an opportunity to share their stories in ways that would make it visible, but would also keep it confidential. 
So I did this activity where I had everybody write down all of the hard things that they had been dealing with and little scraps of paper. And then I had them throw them all in a big box. And then I passed around the box and everybody reached in and grabbed a handful. And I had them make a collage of all of the things that were happening in their peers' lives. And when they were able to see all of that, they were stunned by just the you know, the enormous weight that people were carrying. And I told them, I said, these are, I know these stories about you. I read your stories. And every time I see one of you hurting another, I think this person shouldn't have to deal with one more thing. And that small activity in the classroom changed the culture of the classroom. Students started respecting each other more. They started, you know, if one student started to tease another one, another student would say, hey, you don't know his story. You don't know what's going on with him. Leave him alone. You know, so it became this culture where people re really respected the fact that people have a lot that they're dealing with. And from that space, I started to realize, like, this is something that we can always do. We can build this into the fabric of how we create teaching and learning and started to do it more in my classroom. And then when the opportunity came up to start the Alliance School, I said, what if this was at the core of everything that we did as a school, building relationships so that students recognize what others are going through and are able to treat each other with care? It really sounds like, you know, it just envelops kindness and understanding. And a lot of the things that I've um, discussed on the podcast before and also on the Learning on Fire podcast where, where we go through um, sort of people's favorite teachers and why that was, often it's the fact that they feel like they've been heard or, or the teacher sees them for the real person that they are despite any facade they might have within their class. But what I loved about what you just were talking about is the fact that it seems to do the same thing in a peer group. You know, like you said, it's the other pupils that are saying, but you don't know what this person's going through. You don't know what's happening in their life and therefore to be respectful, to be kind and to have that understanding. I think that's the first time I've ever heard it described in that way, which I can imagine is so empowering for everybody. And the fact that you're able to do it in an exercise which then became still sort of a personal, you know, the fact doing it in a collage rather than people, you know, just reading them out even if they weren't their own and that kind of thing because it keeps the anonymity as you say but also it just makes it something which is part of the whole class and I guess it's that kind of sort of share um, burden shared kind of thing it becomes a collective thing and I guess that might help to dispel that like you say that personal weight and that personal feeling of everything that they've got going on in their lives yeah and it, it builds the trust in the community so we were able to start in spaces like that and doing activities that are just you know, getting young people to know something about each other. And then as time went on, people started to reveal more of their personal details and, and have an understanding that this was a place that they could trust their peers. So it's a it's a step-by-step -step process that starts with simple questions. But as time goes on, people are really able to know that this is a space where they can bring them their whole selves. And it's, it's not just with the, the students either. I wrote a whole chapter in, in the importance of this work with adults too and having the teachers in the school community have a community where they know each other, where they know why they make the decisions they make and what their values are and what's important to them so that they can work well together. Having been at the helm for 11 years or so, um, is it something which became easier as time went on when the ethos was inbred and people were coming into something which was established or or did because it started even from day one with that as its central idea um did people feel that that, that was how it was happening from day one 
Yeah, no, this was definitely something that became easier as the years went on. In the first couple of years, it was really challenging building that community, especially since as a new school, you know, people signed up for a variety of reasons. It might have been because A was the first letter in the alphabet and they saw the school name and signed up or, you know, this, the central office saw that we had seats and sent kids there. So when the school started up, we just had this, you know, mix of kids from all different places with all different backgrounds and reasons for being there. And, you know, at first it was really challenging. And but as we built those those systems and that culture and really used the practices to get people to know each other, it became easier. And then as the years went on, it became so much easier because the students started to own that work. Um, so the students started to think about, OK, the new year is coming. We're going to have new students coming. How do we welcome them into the school community? How how do we teach them our values? How do we make sure that they know how things work around here? So that the students owned that kind of preventative community building practice. And what kind of things did you realize having then written the book about the whole experience that maybe you hadn't quite realized while you were sort of um, in the heat of battle, as it were, actually part of the school? I think one of the the biggest ahas and the hardest things for me was to recognize that my own leadership was part of it. Uh, I didn't even have a chapter on leadership at the beginning because that felt very much talking about myself. But as I stepped out of the space and was able to write the book, when students and teachers would come to me and tell me these were some of the things that you did, like one of the big things was trust. You trusted us. It was such a huge piece of what made it work and not something that I would have known to write about at the time or to to have as a key in there because it's just, it's who I am. I, I trust. I'm, I, I come first from a place of trust and believe in the goodness of people. So that was such an uh, eye-opening piece was to step back and to see how the things I did really impacted practice and impacted the way I led the school. And if you actually has very much to do with the school have, having finished, um, and, and how's the culture changed? Like I said, so much of it is personality based it's still got its ethos it's still a school that's grounded in its morals and and what it's trying to achieve but has it changed very much from a personality point of view they had a little bit of storming after i left just to as they realized as it took some time for the new leadership to kind of realize what were those key things that made things work but over time the the community itself came together and and started asking those questions who are we why does it work what are we not doing that we used to do that we need to do and the restorative practices in the in the school community is so strong so right now we have two classes where students learn to become circle keepers and do the restorative practices for the school one's a beginner class and one's an advanced class and the beginner class kind of handles the community building for the school, like setting up circles, resolving conflicts, things like that. And then the advanced class goes out and trains people in the community and does some of the stuff for the school as well. And so that, that having that heart in the school, they really came together to figure out like, what are we gonna do as a school community to hold to our culture? 
And uh, since that they've been able to do that, they've kind of been able to reposition themselves around what are our values, who are we, and how do we continue with this mission? So it's really exciting. I've stayed part of it. I've been, you know, very involved in the community. This is the first year where it's not students who were there when I was there. <laughs> so it feels a little bit different because before when I was coming back, I was somebody that the students knew personally from my work there. Now it's kind of, I come back and it's like, wow, that's Tina. <laughs> She's the one that started the school. <laughs> yeah, no, I can, I can really imagine that. There is that kind of sense of, um, yeah, it's almost becomes things of legends, doesn't it? <laughs> In that, yeah. Especially when you've been there from day one, you know, that it's not just about being the head of the school. It's about, you know, being the school, I guess, really. It's the easiest way of describing right. it. <laughs> um. The thing which comes through the, the most, I think, from, from our conversation so far is the fact it's not about rules. It's not about having to do X or having to do Y. It's about the connection between staff and pupils, pupils and pupils. And that all comes down to emotions and, and the fact that we're not just learning subjects. We're not just learning maths and English and science and music or whatever it happens to be. It's actually about the, the person individually and how they feel about these things. So can you talk to us a little bit about the importance of that? Yeah, so uh, that reminds me of uh, my daughter. I wrote about this in the book, too. My daughter at one point said that, you know, at Alliance, the students are going to be doctors and teachers and, and nurses and people who care for others because at Alliance, you're not just learning how to learn, you're learning how to care. And that was such an um, important quote for me. And that my daughter went to the school, too. My Both of my kids did. So they had a real sense of what that culture was and what that community is. But the... Um, I remember when we were starting the school reading something from the United Nations about peacekeeping. There's there's like three levels of peace work. It's peace building, peacekeeping, and peacemaking. And that really stuck with me. So this idea that peace building is where most of our work has to happen. This like building relationships between people, setting the culture, focusing on joy, focusing on shared stories. That's where most of the work has to happen in schools. You still have instances where harm happens and you have to have peacemaking. And um, you, you still have some pr like protective factors that you have to do for peacekeeping. But when most of the work happens in peace building, you rarely have to get to those other spaces because the, the relationships take care of that peace. And I guess what are the interesting things for me as a, as a musician as well is that a lot of schools at the moment with um, budget cuts and those kind of things you know the narrowing of the curriculum um, mm -hmm. becomes an issue not just because people might not like English maths and the sciences or whatever there's you know the, the sort of the key stem things which they're all tested on now but the fact that their voice might be elsewhere certainly for me you know music and the arts was something which I suddenly sort of found a way of expressing myself in a way that I couldn't in it in, in, in those mm -hmm. other subjects so how's the school set up from that point of view does it have a broad curriculum does it give the children a chance to express themselves subject related things as well Yes, actually, that's such a key part of it, too. So the arts was very infused in our school culture, um, both in we had a full time art teacher who is extraordinary and really helps students to like do art, you know, like to live art and then also to work with the other classes and teachers to embed the arts into the work we do. So as a small school, we had to teach a lot of things. 
Um, so what we would often do is as teachers, we had different things that we were passionate about too. Like I love dance. And so I taught a dance class. Um, it's something that, that gave me joy every day. And at the same time filled that for the students. And we had, um, our English teacher loved Taekwondo and taught a class in Taekwondo and, and, and one semester he taught a class in philosophy because he loved philosophy. So like using our strengths and our loves to really build a community where those pieces are built into everything that we do was key because I think that uh, a school without the arts and dance and joy and the, you know, the study of things beyond the, the test preparation it's just sad. It's just sad. Uh, I always talk about the idea that education is not just preparation for life. It is life. You know, these are years in our, our young people's lives and our children's lives. These are important years and they should have the experience of joy and, and laughter and art and exploration and any everything possible that we can give them in those years to make that life really purposeful yeah i love that and it, it really echoes with me because um one of the three podcasts on the network is for, is for the national association for primary education and one of their really big drivers is the fact that it shouldn't be about preparation for something later. Primary school's not preparation for secondary school and secondary school's not preparation for the workforce. It's actually that when you're seven, then you need to embrace being seven with all of that comes and, and in such a broad way like you described. And I think it's such a key factor that we often forget because, like I say, because of the testing regimes and all that kind of thing, we're always looking forward. We're always being judged, we think. And um, so I'm interested also to find out how you sort of combat the, the things that you have to do as a school when they don't necessarily work hand in hand with the type of ethos that you're setting up. Yeah, yeah. I think that when you're doing extraordinary, I always told my teachers, when you're doing extraordinary teaching, those, you know, those things result in good test scores and growth and, you know, all of the things that we're looking for. So I always told my teachers, just be extraordinary teachers. You know, just give students the opportunities and the experiences and, you know, the, the, the joy, because they're going to show up, they're going to invest themselves in it, they're going to engage in the learning, they're going to try harder and stretch themselves because of those things. And it was always true. I mean, it was always true that our scores would go up and the growth, you know, achievement gaps were diminishing and the students were happy and attendance was high. Um, so that was that was always my theory. I know others have, you know, pushed for other ways of getting there, but I always just felt like the most important thing was the experience that young people had in our schools. Yeah, and I've I've heard that from a couple of people I've interviewed over the years and and it takes so much faith, doesn't it? It takes so much yeah. belief that just do what you do best and the rest of it will take care of itself and I don't know whether it's harder or more difficult doing it in a brand new school. I've I've heard heads coming to schools and, and take that philosophy when they're, they're they're new within an established school and had to sort of really sort of fight their their, their ground over a long period of time and, and it is just that you know if you're doing great things then great things will happen and, and you know the system's there to do what the system does rightly wrongly or indifferent but I think like you say when you've got the child at the center of what you're doing and when you're showing up as yourself as a teacher in that I think that makes such a big difference and I love the fact you said that the teachers were doing things which they loved because 
then there's that personal connection in a way that's beyond the classroom, isn't there? Because you're mm-hmm. able to share the love with that with the pupils too. Exactly, exactly. It's it's like when the teacher is lit up, the students are lit up too. And, and, and you know, it also, I mean, it really, you talked about being student-centered and focused on the child also. I mean, when I say teach to your best and everything else will happen, I don't mean don't ever look at where the child is at or know what their needs are or anything like that. That's an important part of it too. But knowing those things and focusing on just doing great teaching is is such um, a key to that success. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I always do the same thing when we talk about music. It, it's always that sense, you know, teach great songs, do great rhythm, do ensemble stuff, create an ensemble, create a choir. And then if you look back at all the things that you've covered, if you have to tick box, if you have to cover any kind of curriculum, you've more than done it. And at the same time, without even thinking about it, the children have got an experience which is beyond what you could ever do by just sort of starting with having to fill in certain checkpoints along the way. Yes, that's brilliant. I love that. So for people that Read, read the Alliance way. What is it that you'd like them to, to take away from it? What what's the what's the real message of it um, that you think people will really be inspired by? Uh, you know, I think the real message is that this is this is work that can be done. I think so many people treat bullying as something that just is and always was and always will be. And the thing I want people to take away is that that's not the way the experience of school has to be. You know, it can be different and it, it can be it can be done in brilliant, beautiful, fun and, you know, exciting ways. It's not um, it's not a chore. It's not too much. It's it's possible. And I guess also is it the fact that it's not either or it's not like you know, we're, we're, we're creating an environment which is focusing on being bully free at the at the expense of everything else or ignoring everything else is the fact that it's just an integral part. And I think, you know, almost from where we were beginning in terms of being kind and being um, empathetic to people around you, you know, it just embeds a culture that just is very inclusive. Yeah. You know, one of the premises of my, my work was always the idea that if students are not having their needs met for safety and security, they can't focus on education. You know, it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's, If they don't feel safe, their brains are in fight and flight and they can't focus on school. So if you don't do this work first, you never get to the academics anyway. And if you do do this work first, you get to change the experience of school for young people. Yeah, I love that. And I just suddenly had this picture in my mind of the fact that, of course, like you say, if you're physically feeling safe, and then by doing the sorts of things that you were talking about in terms of sharing stories that you feel emotionally safe as well, then that just gives you the breadth to actually create an environment for each pupil to expand and, and to grow into, doesn't it? Like you say, whether that's an expressive piece of work or whether it's taking part in an activity, if you feel safe in that environment truly to your core, then they're going to get an experience and, and everyone in the class, the teachers and everyone involved in a way that's not possible without that being the case. It's so true. It's so true. They're not going to step in with their full selves until they feel that safety. Neither are you as a teacher. So it's a it's really important work to do to start and to to constantly be building throughout the way you teach. So for people who want to find out more, what's the what's the best way for people to get in touch and and, and to get hold of the book and, and to get in touch via the, through a website? 
So I have a website called www.beliefreefirst, um, with, you know, really focusing on the idea that this is the work that we have to do first in schools. And I am on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook, all is Tina Owen Moore. And I am, you know, excited to engage in this work with people. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. I'm, it, I just find it inspirational. And as I said at the beginning, I think that understanding that creating the environment first rather than all these things feeling like they're something that needs fixing, I think I think is just such a an important message. And I think when we all start from there, everything becomes expansive. So thank you very much for chatting and sharing your story. And I, and I wish you all the very best work in the future. Thank you so much, Mark. It has been such a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire. Do you need help and support in creating and embedding music in your school? If so, we have created Primary Music on Fire to help you with just this, a music membership site that's taking the fear out of teaching music by giving you the step-by-step skills and ongoing support you need to produce lifelong musical memories for you, your school, and your pupils. Go to educationonfire.com forward slash primary hyphen music.